Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 13. Have you ever noticed on, uh, and, and I, I, I want to begin by acknowledging that I'm probably way more sensitive to this than maybe some others, but have you ever noticed on TV or in movies how they portray preachers? And uh, now that you've had a chuckle about how they do, I don't even need to explain it, but, uh, you know, the way they portray Christians isn't a whole lot better, is it? The, the tendency, certainly for preachers, I mean, you go way back to, to you know, when I first, I, when I was in seminary and I first started noticing this, uh, MASH, Father Mulcahy, remember him? <laughs> and uh, I think, okay, so that's what they think about pastors. Either, either uh, pastors and, and Christians are, are portrayed as really wimpy, that's usually the pastor is the wimp, okay, and then the, the Christians, the average Christian, church-going person in the movies and on television tend to be either mean or hypocritical. If you haven't noticed that, start watching how, how they are portrayed. Now, I've had to ask myself the question, is that because that's what we are? Which, by the way, I quickly answered the wimp question. I said, no, that's not what we pastors are. We know that. But what about, what about the other side? Why? Why do they portray Christians that way? Is, is that because that's who we are or that's how they perceive us or that's who they want us to be? And I do have some theories about, about those, as you can imagine. I think in some ways the answer is yes. Um, there are simply too many Christians that are unloving towards others. That's, I think, where we need to start. And I will, I will just tell you that uh, when I'm driving places to the hospital or whatever during the day, I usually turn on talk radio to see what's going on, what people are thinking. And I, I'll tell you this, when I hear somebody who is calling in to talk radio, and they begin with, well, I'm a Christian, I just cringe. Because typically, the, the next thing they say is, but, <laughs> and then they go on to say something that we don't want to claim as Christians, something that is very unloving, and, and now, of course, there are exceptions, and you who call in to talk radio, you know I didn't hear you. It's okay. Apologetics is a defense of the Christian faith. That's what we call it. Not because we're apologizing for the faith, but we are defending the faith. In our verse of the year for 2014, 
John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. I want you to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. What Jesus is saying there is that that is the Christian apologetic. You want people to know your faith is real. They are entitled to look at us and whether we are loving or not loving toward one another and they are entitled to determine whether or not we are real as disciples, as followers of Christ. That brings us back to my theories. One reason I believe Christians are depicted in unloving ways is that if that's the way Christians are, if that's what a Christian is, then I'm off the hook. So, of course, they're going to pounce on anything unloving that they see if they don't believe. And it will become highlighted. It will become as if it's the norm. As if that proves that Christianity is not real and does not have to be dealt with. And therefore, I'm off the hook. So that's why I answered yes to why we are portrayed in those ways. But because it is the Christian apologetic, that's why we have been in 1 Corinthians 13 for the whole summer. And we've got one more week in there as well. Because if Jesus gave the world permission to judge us by our love, we better know what love looks like toward one another. So let's listen again to what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 
love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. Then I became a man. I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's bow together. Thank you for your word and your words to us. You've seen fit to preserve, preserve these for us today at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in 2014. These are for us as they have been for so many others. But today, here, we want to hear from the teacher, your spirit. Will you enable us, even as we have sung, to yield our spirit to you alone? so that we can hear from our Father who loves us more than we can imagine. We ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. That's where we're going to focus today. Paul uh, is about to conclude this very poetic section of uh, 1 Corinthians 13, and he's talked about the negatives. Now he's going to talk about uh, some of the positives. He has uh, four things here. Now, in poetry, particularly if you're in the Old Testament, uh, Hebrew poetry and so on, if you see two things mentioned or three things or four things mentioned, sometimes it's just four different ways of saying the same thing and uh, em emphasizing the same thing uh, four different times from different angles and so on. Uh, so I, I, I looked at this to see if is that the case. I don't believe it is here. I think there's nuance between them. They are all related uh, this chain uh, of verbs that he has here, they're definitely all related, uh, but they, they are not the exact same thing. But, but here's, here's what they have in common. They, they're modified by that phrase, all things. Bears all things, 
believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that's a good way to translate it. We're going to use that interchangeably, that it's talking about all things. But the other, the other way it can be translated is always. Okay? And maybe some of your, your versions uh, do use that. What Paul is saying is it is just comprehensive in scope here. Um, and here's where it gets personal. If you have been here through the summer, and when I, I read a passage, and, uh, and then I say, we're going to focus on this verse, and immediately in your mind, you say, oh, good, because so-and-so really needs to hear that. <laughs> Boy, am I glad. Oh, I'm glad she's here today. She definitely needs that. Okay, so if, if that's been a challenge of yours, and it is a challenge, we've, we've told you from the pulpit that that's a, that's a challenge for us. You know, you start a passage and you, you start thinking of people and then all of a sudden, you know, during the week as you're, as you're digging deeper and the Lord, I, I think he, he's just, he's so funny. He, he just turns it on us, you know. And all of a sudden, the, anybody we had in our mind kind of fade away because he's pressing down on, on us, we who are dealing with this uh, every single day. So, uh, so if that's you, or especially if you've, you've kind of taken this lightly and you've said, well, you know, I think I'm doing pretty good in the love area. Uh, yeah, I got other issues, but I, I think in the love area, I'm pretty much on track. You know, I'm a good 80, 85% of the time, I'm you know, I'm, I'm pretty good in those areas. Now, if that's the case, this, uh, this verse will blow your self-righteousness right out of the water. Because it's not talking about 80% or 99%. He uses the most comprehensive phrase he can. All things, every time. And so only the most prideful could say, talking about me in that verse. So here we are. Let's take a look at uh, this verse and dissect it a little bit in terms of the, the meanings of this word. First of all, uh, love bears always or all things. The word there in the English Standard Version, uh, translated bears, comes from a root uh, that can go in two different directions. Um, one is a verb, and it can mean to endure. But I think the reason that most don't translate it that way, and I, I would concur, is uh, because the, the fourth word in the chain, that's the best translation. So it would be kind of strange to talk about 
use one word for endure and then another word for endure. So the other word that is related to sounds very different, uh, but it can literally mean a roof. Now let me explain. Let's think about it. What does a roof do? Well, it, it covers, it protects that which is under the roof. You know, we tend to think of it, you know, things bouncing off the roof. Well, their, their roofs back then were, you know, they were flat. But, he, but they had the same purpose. It kept, you know, kept the sun off of you, it kept, you know, the rain off of you or anything else off of you, so it protects. So when, when, it, when it, uh, he uses that kind of a word, I think that's why the New International Version of uh, translation actually says, love always protects. It always protects. Um, so what's he talking about? Well, if we think of love as a, a covering, it's hard not to think of what Peter said in 1 Peter 4.8. He said, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. There it is. The idea of love and covering is put together. Uh, in the Proverbs, Proverbs 10.12, it said, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And Proverbs 17.9, whoever covers an offense seeks love. Now, again, let's, let's, let's stay in the Old Testament for a second because uh, the, the Old Testament word that would be uh, the word for atonement, atonement when we think of, you know, a pain for our, our sin and so on, is the word, and I'm only going to say, say the Hebrew word because it sounds like the English word, kafir cover. So the idea of atonement is the idea of a, a covering over. And in the case of atonement, it's the covering of sins. So let's, let's pull our theology together, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the idea of, of love and covering. The only thing that absolutely, completely covers our sin is the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's it. That's what atonement is. So, with that in mind, with that as the, the backdrop and the foredrop and the side drops, you know, with that all around, then we are told that we should cover for others as well. Not that we can atone for their sin, but as we've been forgiven, we must be forgiving of others. All right, the second verb, love believes always or all things. And doesn't that, doesn't that sound so naive? I mean, is that even a good quality to, to believe everything? 
some people already think that Christians walk around with rose-colored glasses, right? Do you have friends that think that about you? Oh, you Christians. You know, you just always try to put the best spin on, on everything. You got as many problems as we do. Of course we do. We live in the same fallen world. Of course we do. We live with sinners like you. No, you don't say that to them. <laughs> but, but we do. We, we face the, the same kinds of things. So, so what is it that we are to believe? Well, you know what? Christians, those who follow Christ, those who believe in a sovereign God, are the only ones that should have an optimistic outlook on what's going on in this world. We're the only ones that have a reason. That's not rose-colored glasses. It's not putting your head in the sand. But if you're, if you're around an unbeliever and they say, well, you know what, whenever I, I uh, get lemons, I just make lemonade, or I, I try to uh, think the best of everyone... Why? Why would you do that? Look around. Look at, look at the world we live in. There's, there's distress going on all around us. If you, don't, if you don't think there's a purpose in this, why would you ever be optimistic? And so from a, a Christian perspective, we say, there is a sovereign God, and we don't get it. We can't explain it to, to everybody why these things are going on other than the big picture of we do live in a fallen world. But in terms of details, we're not going to try to explain it away. But here's what we know. God loves us, and he's shown that. And there's not a single thing that takes place in this world that is not under his providential hand. And, and that's the only reason, even though we won't understand, understand it, that's the only reason we can ever be optimistic. Because a good God who loves us, is in control, and he wins. He always wins. Did you see Dr. Kent Brantley when he was released from the hospital? He's the doctor that had Ebola. If you haven't had the opportunity to see the whole statement, I... Uh, go online or, or, or look it up because uh, it's worthwhile watching. Uh, the, the only part I heard initially on the radio was, uh, I'm just so happy to be alive. And I thought, oh, well, that, that's nice, <laughs> you know. But then I, I went back and somebody told me, you got to see the whole statement. And I went back and, and watched it. And uh, I see why they edited him. Not for time, but because he's a real believer. He believes in a sovereign God, and he's not bitter. 
You know, he's the one that gave up his, because of, he understands that there's another life coming. He gave up his dosage. That's why he got so sick. He gave it to somebody else. You see, that's a right worldview. But he came off to me as optimistic, as grateful, as thankful. And that's a right view from someone who believes in a God who is sovereign, believes all things. The third thing is hopes always or hopes in all things at all times. Again, it's continuing with the idea of being optimistic. Um, I think often we, we miss out on this idea here because you got the, the kind of the triad uh, of the last verse of uh, 1 Corinthians 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Of these three, the greatest is love. So love gets highlighted. Faith, oh, that's an absolute. We need that. And we, we kind of just throw in hope. I, I don't know where it fits, but it's, in, it's right in the middle there. Um, the word hope is used, and I didn't count this. Other people, I guess they sit around counting words, but it's, it's handy for preachers. It's used 31 times in the New Testament. But Paul used it 19 of those times. That was a big part of his theology, the Christian hope the certainty that comes in it. But every time, every time it's used, it's never about, well, just hope in yourself. Believe in yourself. Never. Hope is always in God. Every single time we see it in the New Testament. So if you hear someone say, just believe in yourself, uh, that's, that's not going to be a Christian perspective. Our belief and our hope is in Christ who is God himself. The fourth verb there is, uh, in this chain, is endures. Love endures always. It's perseverance. Persevering in, in times of pain, in suffering, in loneliness, in loss. And it's hard. How's that a sign of love? Well, love doesn't give up on others. It endures with them. Uh, we, we do need to understand, though, this whole idea of enduring all things uh, because some are, are going to be tempted to say, well, that's talking about tolerance, and I love the idea of tolerance. And, and tolerance in our day has, has taken a different spin to where it's implying that all things are equal, whether it's your religion or whatever. And, you, you know, I, I tolerate what you believe, which means you, what you believe is just as good as what I believe. And that's not the case. Some things are right and some things are wrong. Uh, Josh McDowell addressed this, and I, I want to read. It's just uh, part of a paragraph because he's comparing tolerance with love. 
He says, tolerance says you must approve of what I do. Love responds, I must do something harder. I'll love you even when your behavior offends me. Tolerance says, you must agree with me. And I think that's accurate in our day. Love responds, I must do something harder. I'll tell you the truth because I'm convinced the truth will set you free. Tolerance says, you must allow me to have my way. Love responds, I must do something harder. I'll plead with you to follow the right way because I believe you're worth the risk. You see, that's love. That's loving someone else. Tolerance seeks to be inoffensive. Love takes risks. Tolerance glorifies division. Love seeks unity. Tolerance costs nothing. Love costs everything. So, (coughs) earlier I cautioned us, if you think you're pretty good at these four things, don't forget the always or the all things. So how do we cope with the gap from how we are treating others, how we are loving others, and how we ought to be loving others? There's a gap there. How do we deal with that? Well, when I I started uh, working on this message, and I started by digging into the, the phrase, all things. The, the, the verse that uh, kept coming to my mind was Colossians 1.18. We read it earlier in our confession. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. In all things, Christ preeminent. There's the all things. Now, one of the reasons that verse jumped out at me is it was ingrained in me when I was at Covenant Theological Seminary. That's their verse. And it is of our denomination's college as well. That in all things, Christ preeminent. So here we are told in all things we are to love. For one to always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere, there's only one way to do that, and that is trusting in the only one who has ever done that. There's only one who has ever. This is a description of Christ. You get it? He bears all things. If he is not preeminent in all these things, then the tendency is to to blame rather than to bear, to distrust rather than to believe, to despair rather than to hope, and to give up rather than to persevere. So our great hope because sadly there's too much blame and distrust and despair that the world sees 
among Christians. Our great hope is to go to the one that this verse is about. The one who does bear all things as he bore our sin on the cross. The one who believes about us because he knows us and loves us anyway and uses us anyway. And the one who has endured, the one who has persevered until he was able to say it's finished. You see, that's the ultimate in love. In a moment, we're going to sing a hymn. And that hymn also goes with the college and seminary. But the phraseology is what I don't want us to miss. It says this, all for Jesus. It doesn't mean everyone. It means all of us. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. All my beings, ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. That's the all things in Christ. Let's bow together. Yes, Lord, there is a, a gap there between what we do and what we're called to do. But there was no gap for Jesus. Thank you. And thank you that for those who are trusting in him alone for eternal life, that he dwells within us, which means that that kind of love is dwelling within us. So today, will you enable us to show it toward one another? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.